Welcome to today's message from Reach Community Church. We hope this message encourages and blesses you as we dive into God's Word. And now, for today's message. If you've not met me, my name is Heath. Um, If last Sunday was your first Sunday, I wasn't the guy that was preaching. Loved Jim. So excited that he was here last week. Um, But I'm ready to get back in the mix and bring the word today. We're going to be in Mark 9. Um, If you want to get there, we're going to start in verse 14 in just a second. But um, I think today we're going to talk about a topic that everybody in this room has dealt with to some um, way or another, some more. We're going to talk about this idea of doubt. Uh, Also, the word that's going to be used today in the text is unbelief. Uh, The truth is that life is hard, and it throws lots of curveballs at us. And it's easy to struggle with doubt when you're in the middle of one of those curveballs. Thomas doubted. So Thomas, one of the disciples, um, when all the other disciples or most of the other disciples had seen the resurrected Jesus, told Thomas, these were his friends, told Thomas he has resurrected. Thomas said very aggressively, at least the way it's written and the way I read it, I will not believe until I see it with my own eyes. Uh, and the beauty, which I think ties into the text and the point I'm going to try to make today, is um, Jesus was okay with his doubts. Jesus found Thomas, let him, even though he was embarrassed the moment he saw him, he let him see the scars uh, on his hands and feet to show him uh, his truth. Uh, Peter, another one of my favorites, um, he doubted, <laughs> stepped out on the water and was walking on solid ground, doubted, started to sink. Um, and the moment he cried out, Jesus was there to pick him up. And so what do you do with your doubt? Because it's going to be there. And I, I think if we don't talk about doubt and you kind of think that you're supposed to be rock solid, 100% assured of everything faith and otherwise, that when doubts do come, when anxiety does come, what do you do with it? Today's text in Mark 9 will hopefully give us some insight here. So let's pray. Father, you know all the doubt and insecurity and turmoil that goes on in our little brain. You know all the things that even right now, as I mention the word doubt, that all the conversations, all the things are, are surfacing. Lord, all the reasons of why it's okay to doubt and why all um, these things should be happening or they have happened. Uh, Lord, we just need you. Lord, we want to interact with you today and, and not hide the things that are going on internally, but be honest and transparent. With you, because you already know. You already know what's going on inside of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you use the text today to encourage us, to show us yourself over and over again, how willing you are to respond to a people that are ready to believe, even when there's unbelief. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So right before this, at the beginning of chapter 9, you have a a, a pretty crazy encounter. Um, Jesus takes his favorite three. They're our favorites. So parents, it's okay to have favorites. Jesus had favorites. Uh, just don't tell them um, that they're your favorites. Just let them know. Uh, what I do, I, this, this is for free. 
Let me take this off. Uh, this is free. I tell each one of my kids that they're my favorite until the, you know, but only when they're in the room alone. And then so they really never know. Uh, and the older they get, I've started telling them that they're my favorite. The, the, le- the one that causes me the least amount of headache, they're my favorite. So any of them could buy for that position anytime they want. Um, I'm trying to create a hierarchy of <laughs> deciding to, to be my favorite. Uh, but Jesus did. So he took his three and he, he goes up onto the mountain uh, to pray. And this thing happens. It's called transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. He goes up there and he starts glowing. Clothes come as bright as they can be. Bleach could not make them as white as they are. And then Moses and Elijah show up and have a conversation. And Peter and John and James are like, like, we read it like, oh, this is cool. They're watching it. They're seeing it. No. And then Peter starts saying dumb things. It says it in the text. You can read it later. Um, he says, why don't we create these tents? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. He said, because he didn't, it literally the text says, because he didn't know what to say because he was afraid. Yes. When Jesus starts the glow and two dead people arrive, you're afraid. Like when, if you go for a meeting and one, you know, somebody's glowing and two of your great grandparents that are no longer here on this earth are there, it's like, okay, I don't know what to do. And that's what happened. So, and they have this moment. He tells, and this is, this is the hard part. He tells Peter, James, and John, like, don't tell anybody. Not until I'm resurrected, which they're confused of. I love that it dialogues. He's like, yeah, yeah. They were unsure what he meant by resurrection, but they're like, okay, we'll keep it secret until that happens. And so they're coming down the mountain. The other disciples were waiting at the bottom, watching the favorites come back from spending one-on-one time with Jesus. And we pick up in verse 14 with what happens. So verse 14, it says, When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. Um, the scribes of the day were, were, in ancient Israel, were learned men whose business was to study the law, transcribe it, and write commentaries on it. They were the law experts. They were the ones that kept everybody in line, and they were following around Jesus and his disciples, waiting for them to either break the law or teach something opposed to the law. They were waiting um, for this, and they're probably arguing with um, the disciples about something else, maybe a theological point. I'm going to bring up something later, which I think they're, uh, I actually think the scribes are making fun of them because of what's getting ready to happen, but I want to get ahead of myself. Verse 15. It says, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, referring to Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. Now, I'm going to, this is Heath, okay. Like, sometimes Heath just says stuff. It is extra biblical, but I'm just going to say it. There is a chance that Jesus is still glowing a little bit. Okay. Moses glowed when he came down from having his encounter. He had put a veil over his face. Jesus was glowing, so maybe when they see him coming, and Jesus has got a little—he's got a little glow on him. Okay, I don't know that, but this is just this is just me. So don't don't run into like finding out that I'm wrong. But he could be glowing. Um, not important, but just a thought. Okay, verse sixteen, and he asked them, "What are you arguing uh, with them? What are you arguing about with them?" 
And someone said from the crowd, answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams, <clears throat> foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they could not, or they were not able. I think the scribes were making fun of the disciples that they couldn't do what everybody had been talking about. And in Luke uh, 10 and Mark 6, Jesus sends out his disciples, gives them authority to heal people and over evil spirits, unclean spirits. Ver, um, Luke 10, verse 17 and verse 20. It says, And the 72 returned with joy. So they had gone out on a missionary journey before this, preach the good news, heal people, um, talk about the coming kingdom. And they come back with joy and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And let me, let me just say this. This may be unpopular. Um, demons didn't go away. Okay? Like, our, our war is not against flesh and blood. There is a spiritual war that is going on. And one of the, the most common healed thing that you see in the New Testament was the demonic. Not you like... Everybody's like, oh, let's not talk about the demons. Um, but I think we need to talk about the reality that this warfare is still going on. And the same authority that Jesus gave his disciples, he gave to us, his children, with the power of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about the end of why I think they had a little issue casting this demon out. Verse 20, it says, nevertheless, so Jesus tells them, has a little conversation with them, and then verse 20, it says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. Don't be so excited that you heal people and you cast out demons, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. He's like, guys, like, just calm down. Like, the most important thing isn't that you saw this power be used through you. The most important thing is that you're my children and that your names are written in heaven. Verse 19. And he answered them. It's a little open rebuke. He said, oh, faithful, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and wrote about foaming at the mouth. Okay, let me, let me just set up this. Anybody had a kid, not demon-possessed, but like had a kid that just threw a tantrum somewhere? Have you? Like I have. Uh, you know, you've been in a store, and they didn't get the toy that they want or the candy they want, and they just lay down on the ground and scream. Okay, picture this in your mind, because you've seen it and experienced it to some extent. This is going on. This kid is rolling on the ground, foaming at the mouth, and watch what Jesus does. He didn't be like, you need to get this kid under control. Like, what is wrong? He didn't even cast the demon out yet. Look at this. I love this. Uh, verse 21, it says, and Jesus asked the father of the kid. The kid is on the ground. The demon's still there, still cutting loose. And he has a conversation with the father. Listen to this. 
says, how long has this been happening to him? It's happening right there. Just imagine the noise that's still going on in the crowd that's still watching this going, aren't they going to do something with that kid? And the father, and, and he said from childhood. So this is, the, this is something he's been dealing with for a long time. And it often cast him into a fire or into water to destroy him. See, this is, can you imagine, and for not to compare our children and their behavior to the demonic, uh, but could you imagine what this father and mother have gone through since childhood, caring for this child? And, and this, this demon was literally trying to destroy this child, so they had to be vigilant always. They had to be watching him always. They had to be taking care that he wasn't throwing himself into the fire. They had to be, it was a constant ongoing, unending. And the father says this, and says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. I think, you know, this is pretty bold. Imagine all the, the history that this father's had with his child He finally has a glimmer of hope, enough to carry the child to where Jesus was. Jesus wasn't there, but his disciples were there. And I'm sure the disciples are like, yeah, 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 we've done this. Like, we we can take care of it, no big deal. And it didn't work. And he's still in this same moment. And he's, I would say, at the end of his rope, going, like, I, I don't think he has very much hope. His disciples were unable to do it. And he's just like, if, if you can do anything. Verse 23. So I'm going to put a little attitude on this just because this is how I read it. And Jesus said to him, if I can, if I can, all things are possible to the one who believes. Father's like, if you, if, if, if you can do this, have compassion on us. And Jesus is like, if, if I can. In verse 24, it says, Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. I love the, the whole reason I'm talking about this text and the whole reason when, when I read this, I think it was on Monday, I was like, this is the text. I love this. Because this statement has been where I've been lots of times in my life, and I'm sure lots of people in this room have been in that same place, that there's a measure of belief and hope, but there's a measure of doubt and unbelief. And you're kind of standing in between going, which one am I going to go towards? Which one is actually going to work? See, some don't have enough faith even to get this far, even to go. It took faith to leave wherever he was from to bring his child. And I'm sure the child wasn't happy about going to where he was going. It took a measure of faith to ask the disciples to heal his child. It took a measure of faith to stay long enough to see Jesus. And it took a measure of faith to ask Jesus, even with just a glimmer of hope, to heal him. See, Jesus is not afraid of your doubt 
or your unbelief when you're willing to admit it. I think some of the most dangerous things that we have with our faith is trying to appear to God and others stronger than we really are. Looking at people going, I'm good, life is good, life is great, everything's good, no problem. But on the inside, there's a great measure of doubt and unbelief about what God's actually doing. I've been there. I know what it's like to look at people when they ask, and, and, and you know that they don't want the truth. I mean, most people are like, how are you doing? No one is really expecting, like, well, um, if you got a minute, let's just uh, sit down here. Um, I, I've been waiting for someone to ask that, and, and then two hours later, they've explained all the stuff that was going on. I think we can get in such a bad habit of saying life is good and everything's okay that we'll, do, we'll lie to ourselves. Like, everything's fine. When the one person that we need to be honest with is God, I believe that a lot of us are afraid to be openly honest with how you really feel and how you really think with God, thinking he's just going to be like, I'm, gonna, mm, I'm, I'm about to send you to the dark place. The lightning is about to strike. And I think when we think that, we forget that David, the man after God's own heart, spent most of his writing in the Psalms whining about God forgetting him. Whining about, like, when are you going to rescue him from me? Why are you allowing this to happen? God is not afraid because he's already aware of what's going on inside of you. He's not afraid of you going, I'm mad at how this is going. I don't like the way my life is going and have enough faith to go, God, I need your help. Verse 25 says, and when Jesus saw the crowd come Running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and said to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. Okay, okay. See, I think we, we, we just take the story out of this. That like Jesus comes in and is like, bam, spirit, you're out. See, there, there's so much unbelief going on. You imagine the scribes are sitting there. Just say something, Jesus. We're going we're gonna to put you on that cross. Just say something wrong. His disciples are questioning, like, can Jesus do it? Can, can Jesus do what we couldn't do? Uh, this father's like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> I would have rather had a child that was struggling like this than... A no child at all because he, the spirit has come out of him. He's laying there like a corpse. And I love that Jesus doesn't skip a beat. Just like he did not entertain the child when he was talking to the father. The child needed to be healed, but so did the father. The father needed to see the power of Jesus. And I don't think that would have come without his measure of saying, help my unbelief verse 27 says but jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose 
And when he had entered the house, his disciples speak to him privately. So he picks the boy up. The boy stands up and he's alive. And all the crowd has just seen this. And I love the disciples. And I say this a lot. So if you've been here, this isn't a new statement. I love the disciples. They sit there like, yeah, Jesus has got the goods. He, I knew what was going on. Jesus would teach things, and they're like, yes, amen, Jesus, amen. And then they leave with Jesus, and they get him by himself, and they're like, hey, Jesus, what was really going on? Because we're confused. <laughs> like, these are the people that followed around, but they were constantly going, yeah, good teaching, Jesus, good teaching. Let's go out in the hallway. Hey, when you said this, what were you talking about? And so that's what happens. They, they get into the private room where no one else can hear their unbelief or what's going on it says why could we not cast it out and he said to them this kind can cannot be driven out but um, by anything but prayer and read lots of commentaries in this and there's lots of theories on this the one i uh land on this is a little bit of the opinion of heath again is i believe that the disciples came out of their missionary journey, out of their, you know, praying, healing, casting demons out, cocky. I think they came back from their thing going, yeah, Jesus knew what he was doing when he picked us because we're better than everybody else. Look what he gave us authority to do these things. Some of them probably even think, man, I'm doing so much better than everybody else. This is why I have the power to cast these demons out. This is why I have the power to heal people. Again, Heath speculations. But I think they came back thinking, nothing can stop me. Which I think is some of the most dangerous things that you can do as a follower of Jesus is begin to think too highly of yourself and your ability to be all the things that God has called you to be. Jesus wants us aware of our weaknesses so that we will continually push into him. I think his comment here about prayer, prayer is not a conversation with yourself. Prayer is a conversation with God. I think they maybe even said the words, but they were stepping into an authority and they weren't asking, trusting for help from God the Father. I think they were thinking, yep, okay, I can do this. And I, we all do this. I do this. There are points in my life, in my ministry that I'm going, okay, God, like I've been doing this for 21, 22 years. Um, like actually in April will be 22 years. I've been doing this for 22 years. I know good things. I know what to say. I know what to whatever. And God constantly humbles me with the reality that I don't know nothing. The moment I take my history and my experience, go, yep, I am smart. Oh, you want wisdom? Okay, just throw it at me and I'll, 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 I'll give you some wisdom back. And then Heath tries to give his wisdom and his discernment. Now, there is wisdom in discernment from things that I've experienced and known, but when we start trusting ourselves too much, we put God out of the equation and then we get up here. There are, I don't know how many times over the 22 years that I've stood up to preach and be like, man, I've been preaching for a while. Like, <laughs> no big deal. Like, I can do this. And in the middle of it, I'm like, oh, man, I'm just, I'm just. I need I need God. Why you see me a lot of times in the front corner during worship with my eyes closed. 
uh, is half of the time I'm like, God, if you don't show up, if you don't speak, it's going to be me. And Heath Cadell is never going to change the city. I think this is what happened here. And this is, this is what I think God is calling us to do, to get in a place that we're going to trust him. And let me just tell you, sometimes he has to take you through horrible places for you to trust him. Because we have a tendency to trust in our own wisdom, in our own understanding, instead of trusting in him. Psalms 139, verse 23. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. This is a dangerous prayer. (laughs) Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I don't think many people in this room... I don't want to exclude, there might be some demonic activity. But I don't think that's most of our issues. Most of our issue is that we need God to do things in our life, and we honestly don't trust him enough to trust him with it. And I'll say, as a parent, just dealing with a scenario here, one of the hardest things that you will ever do is realize that you cannot control the outcome of your child. Like you, you, we are called to disciple and train and love and lead the best we can. But at the end of the day, we have to trust our children to the Lord, which is hard. And the older my kid, like my oldest one doesn't live in our house anymore. And she turns 21 in May and, you know, is going to graduate from college in a year and a half. And I like my control, which she loves me and still listens to me most of the time. My control over life is, is, is getting less, not more. And the truth is, it probably should have been that to begin with. Me trusting God the Father with them, because he, he loves my children more than I do. He has a purpose and a destiny that's been placed on them before I even thought their name. And so, would we be willing to have faith with our children and everything else? So, I don't know what your thing is this morning. I don't know where you're struggling with doubt or unbelief. I don't know where the wrestling is going on. And what I would like to ask you to do is to be honest. Like, eventually, it's good to be honest with other people because then you can get, you know, other people in it. But you have to start being honest with God. If you have doubts and unbeliefs, he's not afraid of them and he's not unaware of them. I believe the beginning of our healing and our transformation comes when we're willing to acknowledge what's actually going on in our hearts. So where are you struggling with doubt and unbelief? Where is it? Just, you know, you don't have to say it out loud, but just think about it. Do you have enough faith like the father did? He had he had enough faith to do part of the work to get to the place where Jesus was. Do you have enough faith to say, here is the issue? And he went to the Father, or went to, the Father went to Jesus because he believed he could do something with it. He believed that he had the capacity to change his son's life by healing him. 
that first part of the belief is is the belief to say that he can. The father said it, if, if you can. The first part of that is he went to Jesus assuming that he had the potential to save, the potential to heal, the potential to free. And so my question for you this morning is, is are you willing to take that doubt and unbelief at least far enough to Jesus to say, I don't have full faith and belief that you can do this, but there's enough in me that we're at the place that I can present it to you and say, please help. Because what we've always done will usually get us what we've always got. If we stay in this place of just going, this is what I'm going to do, this is what's going on, um, and I can do this. The addiction, the... Um, problems that we have. It could be porn. It could be alcohol. It could be uh, our relationships with our significant other. There could be so many things going on. And you, you could be saying in your head right now, it's okay, it's not that bad. I can, I can fix it. I can get it under control. And I just want to tell you this morning, you probably won't. I've been alive long enough to realize when Heath tries to fix Heath, it rarely works but every time god brings me to a place of breaking me he always does something in me so are you willing to acknowledge it and bring it to him this morning the last thing is use your words this morning to answer the same question as the father in the story if you can all things are possible for those who believe Confess, what do you need Jesus to do for you this morning? Be honest. I'm going to invite our worship team back up here. Um, We're going to spend a few minutes in worship. And we do this at reach on purpose. Because I know sometimes that wrestling that's going on inside of us is I can do more wrestling outside this door. I can, you know, once I get outside, it'll be fine. I believe the most ample opportunity for God to do anything is right now. And so we're, we're, we're going to have one more song as we close out our service for you. You can sit, you can kneel, you can stand, you can sing the words. But the one thing that I want you to do is if there's something in you that you're wrestling with, just acknowledge it to God. Be like, God, here it is. I don't know how you're going to fix it. I don't know what you're going to do with it, but I want to give it to you because I'm tired. I'm exhausted of trying to fix it myself. I'm exhausted of trying to be what you've designed me to be without you helping. And be honest enough today to say, God... I believe you can. And in the same breath, be able to still say, help my unbelief. Let's pray. Father, you know the hearts and minds of every person in this room. You know where there's bondage. You know where we've turned ourselves into being slaves to sin.
Lord, you, you want more for us than that. I believe this morning that you want to offer freedom to people struggling. People that have just enough faith to say, God, I think you can, I think you can fix this. And I just want to lay it at your feet. Lord, I pray that there would be breakthrough just like there was with this father as we acknowledge our struggle. Lord, your word says that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can move mountains. It doesn't have to be big faith for you to transform us. It doesn't have to be big faith for you to do stuff, but it has to be enough to say, God, I need you. So, Lord, I just lift up those in this room that are hiding and need your help. That are stuck and need your hand. That are like Peter that had started walking out on that solid ground and and fear and anxiety have overwhelmed them and they're sinking. Lord, I pray that we'd be willing to say, God, rescue me. So, Lord, I just pray for healing for those in this room that are ready and willing to say, God, here's what's going on with my heart. This is where I need you. Lord, I pray that we would see you, that we would feel your power as we trust in your Son. Lord, I thank you that you've been planning this from the beginning. And 2,000 years ago, your Son came here. Lord, I thank you that he fulfilled all the things that I, we, are unable to do. And I thank you that he was strong enough and willing to go to the cross to pay the penalty for us. Lord, we acknowledge that he was perfect in all things. And Lord, with that, we acknowledge that we are not. And we need that sacrifice. So, Lord, I pray that you bring healing, restoration. Lord, we speak a blessing. We ask for salvation. But, Lord, not just a salvation that frees us from hell, but, Lord, that you would give us life. We don't want just a ticket for later. We, we want you now. So, Lord, breathe your life in us and through us this morning. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, be sure to visit us online at reachcommunitychurch.com.